Thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast, a production of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. In this episode, Michael Page continues his conversation with James Gunn, who discusses meeting celebrated author Robert Heinlein and his own experiences as a young man coming of age during wartime and starting to write. So Robert Heinlein uh, was born in Kansas City, not far from where you were born in Kansas City, but he was That's true. about 16 years older than you. But uh, you say you've met, you met Heinlein a few times over the years? Yes. Uh, I, I think by the first occasion I met him was uh, uh, at the Nebula Awards uh, ceremony when he was presented with the first uh, Grand Master Award. He was number one. And uh, afterwards, they, at a reception they had for him, or meeting up in the SFW suite, I went up to him and, and congratulated him, said, uh, uh, great to meet you, Mr. Heinlein. And he said, you can call me Robert. <laughs> And then uh, I had my uh, closest contact with him, actually, on the telephone, when he was uh, uh, going to be guest of honor at the World Convention in Kansas City in 1976. Uh, I had been uh, named to the uh, committee uh, for the arrangements for the convention as the SFWA liaison. And then I got a call from Jerry Purnell, who said that uh, Mr. Heinlein was running into difficulties with the organizing committee. Uh, they just don't seem to get along. And uh, said, could you smooth this over? So I called uh, Heinlein, or he, or he called me, I forget. We had a series of conversations uh, over the telephone about arrangements. He was a, a very formal man, in a sense. He, uh, as one might believe, realize from reading his novels, he believed in um, a sort of patriarchal society in which uh, people knew their places and uh, young people had the uh, responsibility of honoring their seniors and listening to them. And, and seniors had the responsibility for educating the young people, enable them to make the transition into being reliable seniors. And uh, as a matter of fact, when uh, Heinlein said, said uh, in the first conversation we had, he said, uh, this committee keeps talking about, instead of doing an ordinary banquet, uh, they want to do a insulting uh, uh, roast. I, why would they want to insult me? And I said, oh, the, these young people, they just don't understand. <laughs> So I got in touch with them and got that quelled. And later on, I was going to uh, 
uh, he was giving instructions about how he wanted to be picked up and uh, driven with, along with uh, his wife uh, down to the hotel, the Mulebach Hotel, and uh, uh, that he, uh, he needed to see his brother. And I said, well, maybe you can invite him down to the hotel. He said, oh, no. He said, I have to go and see him because he's the elder. Mm-hmm. He lives in, he's a, a retired general, and he lives in a suburb of Kansas City. And uh, uh, that was the way it went, generally, that uh, he felt that Not there were obligations that people owed that they needed to take care of. Uh, some of that was sort of from his uh, uh, naval background, correct? Yes, and and you true. you were a you were a Navy man. I in, was in I, World War II. Um, yes, I, uh, I was stationed in in the Pacific. I, uh, only after the war. After the war, war. yeah. But didn't you uh, didn't you read some science fiction while you were in on Truck Island? Yes, I did. I was uh, uh, I was after a month or two at uh, Guam. Uh, and uh, uh, somewhere around sometime in the late uh, late autumn of uh, nineteen forty-five, uh, uh, forty-five, uh, forty-four. I guess I was I was transferred down to Guam as uh, service adjutant to the commanding general, which just meant that I was in charge of the mail. <laughs> Didn't do much for the adjutant or the commanding user, he was a Marine general. Uh, but uh, among other things, one day a copy of Astounding came in uh, to a, a, a Navy person who'd already gone back to the States. Mm-hmm. And perhaps uh, I committed a crime, but I could not resist the temptation of reading the magazine, and that was my first uh, contact with uh, my United States science fiction uh, after the the experience I had in, when I was still in the Naval Air Corps cadet, and I, I was uh, transferred in my third uh, three-month uh, session uh, to uh, the University of Georgia for pre-flight training, and I uh, went into Athens, Georgia, and in the drugstore there, I found a copy of Donald Walheim's Pocket Book of Science Fiction, which was a real revelation to me in lots of ways, the first real anthology of science fiction that I had seen. Uh, some less lesser anthologies have been published, but this was the real stuff. And uh, you read that on the train, didn't you? Or you carried yes, it around? Yes, that was all always, always on the train, uh, uh, and uh, and generally very crowded. And although when we uh, traveled from uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico, to uh, uh, on a train to uh, across southern states through Texas and and uh, Louisiana and other towns. We stopped briefly in 
and El Paso, and, uh, and then in uh, New Orleans uh, briefly, but we arrived in, uh, in Athens uh, and got to the campus. And I still remember uh, it's being marched uh, down through the as new cadets and the campus and the the old cadets getting there almost finished, <laughs> yelling out the windows, "Break! Run for the hills! They can't catch you all!" <laughs> but then I was uh, after my three months there, they shipped me to. Uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, where the Navy had a, an air base, uh, uh, and uh, they were going to try to train us to fly uh, bi-wing airplanes, sort of like the Yellow Perils that you see in World War II. And I was—I had been trained actually in New Mexico on uh, single-wing. Uh, uh, Aronkas, and I had learned to, to fly them there in uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico. I had 50 hours of solo and thought I was really competent, but discovered that flying a, a yellow N3N, I think it was called, uh, officially, was a different matter entirely because everything was reversed. And uh, it turned out that on the day when I was supposed to bring in the 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 aircraft for landing, it had been the it's been the spring of the year, and the wind had been blowing all year, uh, all month long. Or and on this occasion, this morning, the 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 wind had stopped. And instead of coming in for a normal landing that just sailed right across the tarmac without <laughs> landing, and my co-pilot instructor took charge and made a circle with the airplane and brought me in again, and once more the airplane sailed right across the <laughs> tarmac. Better that than an aircraft carrier. Yeah, and because uh, it didn't. <laughs> and he said, that's why we've been practicing all this time, stalling out the airplane. So it lands. I didn't know that, oh. I guess. But anyway, they, they decided I was not intended to be a pilot. And I got uh, washed out and sent to Great Lakes for three weeks for reassignment. Then uh, to. Uh, uh, preparatory midshipman school in, in uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, where I experienced my first uh, hurricane, which, which blew by past right off the, the, the coast, uh, but it raised lots of, of tide uh, waves and tore up the 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 uh, boardwalk. We had quite an yeah. experience there, but then shipped on the Notre Dame, where I was took uh, more uh, line officers training and uh, and some tests to determine whether what I was 
in college being, and they assigned me to learn Japanese, sent me out to Boulder, University of Colorado, to learn Japanese, but by the time, of, and then they shipped it at the end of three months down to, the, to Oklahoma State, uh, which is then A&M, and now it's Oklahoma State University, and after a month there, I decided the war was going to be over, and so I opted out, and they sent me an advanced line officers training at Miami, where I experienced my second hurricane. This one hit Miami, but I also experienced sitting in the Columbus Hotel, where they housed us. They were getting rid of some of their uh, uh, excess liquors, and uh, Many of us spent our time there in the, in the room, but there was I was sitting there when I heard the radio news that the atomic bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima, and I knew that the war was over. I also had all these images of atomic warfare, atomic bombs in my head from all the science section I'd been reading and wondered if it was going to set the earth on fire. Indeed. And if so, how long it would take to reach Miami. But then I, the, uh, the war indeed was shortly over, and they shipped me out to, to San Francisco for a while, and then from San Francisco on a hospital ship that were sending back out to the end of the Pacific to, on a, a very comfortable two-week cruise to, to uh, Guam. So I imagine your wartime experience, a lot, like a lot of young men at the time, um, not only did you go to the South Pacific, but you actually kind of toured the entire United States at That's that true. time, I, I, being sent from place to place. I, I went to one, two, I don't know, half, more than half a dozen colleges and universities they kept trying to teach me something, and I don't think they ever taught me anything. And then when but, you got, uh, when you returned from the war, you did you immediately get back to school at the University of Kansas? Yes, I, I had uh, uh, been called up at the end of my junior year, which was my first year at the University of Kansas. My brother had been in medical training at pre-med school at KU, at uh, the university, and my father, who was a uh, printer by trade, was never had a lot of money. Uh, had was paying his tuition, couldn't afford to pay mine up there as well. So I had gone to first of all to Kansas City, Missouri Junior College, and then transferred to Kansas City, Kansas Junior College uh, for my sophomore year because my we had moved to the, on the Kansas City, Kansas side of the state, so my father wouldn't have to pay out-of-state tuition. And uh, so then my brother graduated and went on to medical school, which is at that time he was uh, inducted into the Army, and he, the Army was paying for his expenses. So I went to KU, and I had already that summer uh, uh, volunteered uh, for the Naval Air Corps, uh, but they, I, I don't know, 
maybe they had their pipeline full or something, but they said you could go to university for a year. And I spent a year here in uh, 1942-43. Before in June, they called me up, and I went to my first college in Mount Vernon, Iowa. It was Cornell College. And uh, sort of boot camp uh, arrangement, but they put 25 pounds on me, so I guess that was okay. But then, you know, so it was just a matter of every three months they would send me to someplace new, apparently to learn something else. I did learn to fly, <laughs> uh, sort of. And. Uh, but everything else I've pretty much forgotten. I haven't flown since then, so. And then after the war, you were here. Yes, and then, and then after the war, I decided I, I your came, came back degree. to KU and picked up uh, uh, my senior year here as uh, uh, working uh, as a, actually I came in as the, the chair of the department said that uh, offer the job of editor-in-chief. There are a lot of returning veterans, but uh, including some returning uh, uh, faculty members who had been called up also. Uh, But they, anyway, I was was the editor-in-chief, which was mostly a matter of uh, taking care of the editorial page. But in that first occasion, that first, I came back in June and came up here shortly afterwards. Uh, the chair of the the student board was called in to approve my appointment. It turned out, though she didn't remember it, it turned out that she was also in my uh, uh, editing class, uh, and uh, by the the end of this, toward the end of the first semester, I had her. She said she kept looking at the back of my head, trying to get a message to me. So I finally invited her to tend to play with me, and we went to the play. I had to leave her taking a bus back to her home. Well, I had to go write a review, <laughs> and that was Jane. That was right? that was Jane. So, <laughs> uh, and we we dated for uh, uh, you know uh, a month or two, and then she was going to graduate at the end of the fall semester, uh, since she had taken some extra classes in the summer, and. <laughs> So she said, let's get married. <laughs> so we got married in February, right while she was taking finals, February 7th. And uh, uh, when we returned, I, I, and the GI Bill, we had a little extra money and uh, graduated. Both went down, walked down the hill uh, in June. And uh, the big event that had happened to me that year 
was I had taken a a playwriting class from the grand old man of KU Theater, Alan Crafton. And during that class, I had written as my final assignment a three-act play um, about the second coming of Christ. And he, he runs for president, gets defeated, crucified again. And uh, uh, Alan Crafton liked it so much that he put it on as part of the spring uh, uh, theater Mm-hmm. though he had mostly students working on it, but it was the first student play that had been done there for a long time, if ever. And so I got the illusion that maybe I was cut out to be a playwright. Stayed in the summer and took a playwriting class. Actually, it was a, a directed study course. Uh, and wrote another play, also a science science fiction play, which wasn't very good. But I meanwhile looked around for a university to attend. So uh, I finally settled on Northwestern University because mm-hmm. it had such a a good reputation for theater. And I enrolled there in Northwestern, but I discovered that. Uh, it only had one playwriting class, which was not very illuminating. And I spent most of my time painting scenery and, and the uh, a, uh, abandoned garage, which was in the depths of, of winter there in Evanston. <laughs> but I did take a course in, uh, in radio writing from a well-known professor named Martin Maloney. And uh, so I thought that was maybe what I was cut out to be. So I uh, left uh, Northwestern after two quarters and returned with Jane to- Then she would move into Kansas City. Uh, Kansas so. City. Uh, and uh, we, uh, I still had some Navy savings uh, and we rented a uh, third-floor apartment, a sort of a, a garret, I guess. But it was yeah, sort of inspiring. And I took my concept for a radio series based on Kansas City history uh, around to the radio stations, and none of them were interested. This was just before television was going to make its appearance there. And so I sat down and wrote my first science fiction story, a story called Paradox. Jim, I was going to mention too, on the way down here, I realized that this is the 70th anniversary of both Paradox and Communications, your your other uh, yeah. early story, both That's published true. in the uh, November, was it one was November? Uh, one was, was September o- and one was October. September, uh, October of... Communications, which I, the second story... Was in Thrilling I Wonder. I wrote and sold, was actually the one published first. And... Um, uh, that one was in, was that in Thrilling Wonder? No, that... Or Startling? Startling uh, stories. And then Paradox was in and Thrilling And Paradox Wonder. was in Thrilling Wonder stories, but it was the one that I sent around, I sent first to Astounding... 
and John Campbell sent it back with a brief note, which I, uh, but he did, it was a personalized note, but it was a standard sort of personalized note. Said it was, could you keep writing? And then I sent to Amazing Stories, which just sent it back with a, a, a printed rejection slip. So I sent it to uh, Thrilling Wonder Stories, uh, and one day I got a letter from Sam Merwin Jr., the editor, saying, I like your story, Paradox, and I'll pay you $80 for it. It was a, a life changer. <laughs> Somebody would actually pay me to sit in front of my typewriter and turn the inside of my head into stories. So uh, you must have bought communications shortly thereafter. Then I wrote communications. I must have tried it with different places. I've forgotten. It. I did send it into Sam when He bought it for starting stories. It I must have made twice as much for it because it was a, a longer story. It was it? a longer story. But uh, I only stole one more story that year, though eventually. In uh, uh, subsequent years, uh, after after that first year, I decided that I was not going to make a living at this, and my savings were dwindling. I had saved up about $2,000 because particularly when I was out on Guam, where there was nothing to spend money on, so my limited salary accumulated. And in a way, uh, you know, I remember turning to Jane at one point and saying, there's an ad here, a story about a, a firm that's uh, going to start up and, and make computers or something. Maybe we should invest our money in that. And that decided uh, maybe we shouldn't. Its name is IBM. <laughs> <laughs> So, but uh, instead, I sort of invested my savings in my career. After I, I, at the end of that year, I decided I need to go back to school and uh, uh, get a master's degree, maybe be able to teach. And while I was there, I I sold. Uh, 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 six more stories to some of the magazines that were popping up. There were new magazines coming along after World War II, new science fiction magazines, mostly because publishers thought that there'd be a big boom in science fiction because World War II had been so influenced by laboratory science, both in, mostly in, in space flight but also in uh, in other elements, including the atomic bomb, and and so there was at one point in the night, early nineteen fifties, there were uh, almost fifty different magazines being yes. published, and so I managed to sell almost all of my earlier stories and everything else I was able to write, but uh, then in the the middle of the of the fifties, uh, there was an implosion of all these magazines. They stopped publishing, including some of the older ones like Billy Wonder Stories, 
startling stories till there were only half a dozen magazines left. And uh, it was difficult for things, for writers and so forth at that time. So I was, uh, I had, <clears throat> after getting my master's degree at, at KU in 1951, I had been hired by uh, Western Printing, a lithographic company. The publisher of Dell Books, correct? He was the, or the uh, or a, a company in Racine, Wisconsin. Yeah which published Dell books as also well as, although books. they they didn't sell them, except to, to the Dell company. They just would do all the work on, on choosing and editing and printing them. Then they would sell them for eight cents a copy to, to Dell, and Dell would distribute them. But this also was true of little golden books, and but they had some comics uh, that they printed uh, uh, and uh, little go little uh, little big books and uh, playing cards and even some Whitman publishing mm -hmm. company of their books of their own. Uh, so so the Whitman was part. The Whitman was part of the yeah Western yeah. Okay. Did you did you know Whitman? Yeah, I've, uh, they they did a lot. They did. They do a lot of, uh, or did a lot of uh, children's books. Yeah, children's uh, hardback books of probably and that of and sorts and, and the little golden books, yeah, which are were for, very big. Uh, sort of story. Sort books of Simon and Schuster was did for Simon Schuster, uh, but eventually, uh, well, it turned out that uh, I did edit a couple of uh, science fiction books. While I was there, but mostly I did other things. One of them was edited a joke book called "Funny Side Up." Funny Side Up, yeah. which did. I didn't get my name on. But it, but, but but it's attached to your your name's attached to it now, courtesy of the book I wrote about you. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> People know know who wrote, who put it together. It was a fun time. I would be reading and, and researching jokes and 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 cartoons and so forth for it and uh, I'd come home and tell these stories to Jane. Special thanks to James Gunn and Michael Page. Plain State is produced by Robert Lipscomb. Post-production by Stephen Ramsey. Music by Shadows on a River. My name is Monica Uspin. On behalf of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast. Tagline forthcoming. <laughs>